This week on Blue 58, as the offseason really gets cooking, the Packers could be ready to part ways with a longtime member of the secondary. We'll talk about how they got to that point and how the Packers' decision-making process affects their results in free agency. Then our attention turns to the Combine as the run-up to the draft begins in earnest. We'll cap everything off with a few of your questions. Blue 58! Hello and welcome to Blue 58, the official podcast of ThePowerSweep.com. I am your host, John Meerdink, excited to be with you for episode number 71 of Blue 58. Very exciting episode, including some of your questions coming up here in just a little bit. But first and foremost, I want to direct your attention to something that is going up on the blog as I record this podcast. We're talking about free agency strategy, particularly as it pertains to one Morgan Burnett. He made some interesting comments last week about being excited to hit free agency for the first time and all the typical comments that go along with that. And good for him. It's exciting for him that he gets to hit free agency. Uh, Someone may offer him a real big deal, and it's always exciting when the good guys get a lot of money, whether it's from the Packers or not. I think we can all agree with that. They should get what's best for them. And if that's signing with somebody else other than the Packers, it's disappointing to see. But you know, good for them. I think, you know, Casey Hayward and Micah Hyatt are two good examples of that. They're also two good examples of what I think are parts of the Packers free agency strategy working to their detriment, uh, the detriment of the Packers, not of the players. Um, Packers have two main principles that I outline in this piece that's up on the blog right now that I think can work for the Packers or work against them. The two principles are first identify talent in advance, value in advance, and bid against your imagination. The Packers under Ted Thompson were really good at identifying what they believed were their core players and locking them up in advance, making sure they never got a chance to get to free agency. We talked about this around the last time Aaron Rodgers' contract came up. The Packers have a tendency to get one big deal done just as the season is starting almost each and every year. This past season, it was uh, Lane Taylor signing an extension. The last couple of years, it's been other offensive linemen. Randall Cobb got his deal done um, fairly. Uh, his last extension prior to when he hit free agency, his first one was was before the season started. Jordy Nelson had one done like that. TJ Lang had one done like that. The Packers like to identify their value like that and get it get their deals done in advance. But when you're a player who's about to hit free agency and the Packers don't come to you with a deal months in advance, I don't think that works out as well as the Packers might think it possibly should. The players see that as, you know, maybe not being as the same level of priority as somebody else. And I I think there is a level of understanding there, but it can't feel super great. The same goes for principle number two, don't bid against imagination. I think you see a lot of poorly run teams bidding against no one. And what I mean by that, as outlined in the piece, uh, bad teams have a tendency to really overpay for guys, dole out these big contracts right before free agency starts. So you're coming up on the the start of the the free agency period or the the legal tampering period, uh, which this year is March, I think, 12th and 13th, 12th through 14th. 12th and 13th is the legal tampering period. Then free agency officially starts on the 14th. So the 12th and 13th teams can tamper with guys on other teams, talk to them, um, 
see what they may be hearing from their agents and see if they can get a deal done before free agency really starts. Bad teams panic leading up to and during that time. And they react to what the market is doing and give out contracts that they maybe shouldn't. The Packers have pretty much refused to do that. They're willing to let guys get to free agency, uh, let teams kick the tires a little bit. And then if they're if the Packers are still interested, they call the player and be like, hey, what are you hearing? What numbers are you hearing? If it's in the Packers ballpark, they give them an offer and sometimes they come back to Green Bay. Sometimes they don't. And I think in the situations of both Casey Hayward and Micah Hyde, that may have been what happened. The Packers might have had a number in mind that they weren't willing to exceed. And Hayward and Hyde just decided they didn't want to hear it. That's quite possible. And I think that's why you hear stories of guys like Hayward and Hyde never getting an offer from the Packers. The Packers may have wanted the opportunity to give them an offer, but they just never got it because the the guys were out of town. They were taking visits elsewhere, and the the other teams just gave them an offer that was so good they couldn't turn it down. That's legit from the player's perspective, but it can hurt the Packers. The flip side of that is you're never going to overpay for somebody because you were bidding against your imagination. You were bidding against what you thought other teams might be willing to offer him. And I think that's a good principle to live by if you're a team like the Packers that is going to have some salary cap restraints with Aaron Rodgers' big deal coming up. Now, how does that play into Morgan Burnett's situation? Well, I think we've seen the first principle play out already. And with his comments about being ready to hit free agency, I think we're well into the second one. The Packers are not going to bid against a hypothetical. They're not going to try to guess how much he might be worth on the open market and throw out a contract that's going to match that. If Burnett goes out there and doesn't get a contract that's given him eight, nine million dollars a year, and the Packers are thinking, well, maybe we can get him for six or seven then you start to get things like familiarity and comfort and stuff like that factoring into the player's decision process. So that's how a guy like Morgan Burnett could end up back in Green Bay. And I think it's going to be an interesting thing to see play out over the next couple of weeks. Moving along, uh, as we get closer to the draft, you start seeing a lot of these mock drafts come out, uh, projecting players who the Packers might be interested in drafting. They're a fun exercise, um, but ultimately you do have to take them with a bit of a grain of salt. One thing I have seen is a a strict drop-off from one position group that I think the Packers might be interested in. That's defensive line. Defensive line is is not one of the uh, trendy positions of need when you're thinking about what the Packers could be interested in drafting this year, but I think it's something that you have to consider even with the Packers drafting as high as they are. Defensive line is always kind of a sneaky position of need. It's one of those positions where you need a lot of bodies. Uh, there's a lot of bodies sort of positions, wide receiver, cornerback, offensive line, uh, outside linebacker or edge rusher, whatever you want to call it. Everything in the secondary, I already mentioned cornerback, but uh, safety, I guess you might as well throw that in there too. You need a lot of bodies to fill out those position groups. Defensive line is in there too. These guys get you know chewed up a lot. They're playing a lot of downs, a high demand position in terms of what you're doing physically. And guys can get beat up a lot. It doesn't take a lot to really tear down your depth on the defensive line. On a positive side, or uh, the flip side of that, um, there's no quicker way to wreck an offense's day than throwing out just wave after wave after wave of quality defensive line players. You just beat the snot out of an opposing offensive line 
with a bunch of these big bodied, strong guys that can wear down an offensive line. It's always a cliche to say a defense is getting worn down. I think the same can be true of an offense. You can get beat up. And I think you saw Kenny Clark and Mike Daniels do that to teams uh, down the stretch in games in 2017. It didn't always matter because the Packers weren't in as many games last year, but it did happen. It never hurts to have more good guys at a position where you need a lot of bodies and you may not carry a lot of bodies. These past couple of years, the Packers have tended towards taking maybe five or six defensive linemen into the regular season. That's not a lot. And if you lose one guy and another guy gets his ankle turned during a game, suddenly you're down to just three healthy defensive linemen on your roster. That really limits what you can do from a personnel perspective. I think it's worth considering uh, to look at the defensive line as something the Packers could target even early in the draft, even as high as the first round. Don't be afraid of that. The Packers can do a lot of good things with a lot of versatile defensive linemen, and there are some good ones available in the 2017, 2018, excuse me, NFL draft. As we head towards the draft, we do have the combine coming up, and that's getting underway this week in Indianapolis, just up the road of where I am for right now. This is the last year we're going to be in close proximity to the NFL combine. I'm not exactly sad. Ah, Southern Indiana doesn't always have a whole lot going on, and I'm anxious to get on with the next part of our life, as I mentioned last week. Maybe more on that once things start actually happening for us in the in the next couple of weeks. Maybe once we get all settled into our new location, I'll tell you what's up. But all that notwithstanding, as the combine gets underway, interesting storyline out of Green Bay. Ted Thompson, despite his scouting role with the Packers, will not be attending the NFL Combine. I understand why that's happening. And I think it's pretty obvious why that's happening. The Packers are doing Brian Gutekunst a favor here. This is his first combine as the general manager of the Green Bay Packers. And you don't want your former boss hanging around getting attention, even passive attention from other players or from other people, members of the media. Um, it just sends a bad message. It takes the focus off Brian Gutekunst. And this is Brian Gutekunst's team right now, at least from a personnel perspective. He's the one calling the shots. He's the one making the draft decisions, and you don't want the guy who used to make those decisions hanging around. I get it. But still, it's a little bit sad. Um, I'm a big Ted Thompson fan, not just as a, a football uh, guy, as a, as just a guy, as a person. He's, I think, an interesting character. I wish we knew more about him. And he has, a, has had a long, long, fruitful career in the NFL, dating back to his time as a player, climbing the ranks with the Packers and, and other teams throughout the league. He's had a long, long career, and seeing it come to an end is a little bit melancholy, even if it's understandable why the Packers don't want to have him there. As much as his his position might look like it has some official trappings, I'm starting to wonder more and more if it's it's more a ceremonial thing, and the Packers are just keeping him around so they didn't have to fire him outright. Getting, I don't want to call it failing up your, upward because... I don't think Thompson was a failure as the general manager of the Packers, but um, he certainly did get put out to pasture with the Packers. And uh, it is a little bit sad to think about the end of that era, especially considering all of the success that he had really throughout his career, not just with the Packers. So a little bit of a sad note as the as the Packers and everybody else head towards the Combine. Uh, 
On a related note, if you've got a chance to check out this NFL Combine experience, I think it's worth doing. I did it last year. I drove up to Indy for a day, spent a a pretty decent afternoon hanging out at this Combine experience. I won't oversell it. There's not just tons and tons to do. You can knock it out pretty easily in an hour and a half to two hours. Two hours might be even a bit of a stretch, but um, you can get in for free. Um, It's in downtown Indy, and there's a a surprising amount of things to do in Indianapolis. It's not the cultural wasteland that it's made out to be. And uh, there's some cool stuff to see. Uh, Always cool to get an up-close-and-personal look at the the NFL Combine. And you're not going to be able to see the drills uh, firsthand, except for the bench press, if they have things set up like they did last year. But I think if you can get out there, it's a good thing to do. Um, we'll repost the the piece that I did last year from going to the combine. Plus, if you uh, know who to be looking for, you can get some up close and personal um, time if you want to talk with them with a few members of NFL Media, and that's pretty fun. Pete Prisco was there from CBS last year. Uh, Will Brinson was there from CBS making some rounds and, and just chatting with people, and uh, a whole bunch of other people. Um, Josina Anderson from um, ESPN was there. Uh, and if you want to talk to those people, I'm sure they'd be willing. Uh, you can chat them up. I mean, there's a lot of downtime at the Combine. So um, head out there if you got a shot and uh, rub some shoulders with some people. It's it's worth doing. If you would like us to keep going with the power sweep, we do need your support. This is the hard break into the ad before we get into our main topic. Questions from you. If you want us to be able to do things like continuing to take your questions. You have to help us keep this thing going. And we've got a great core of support right now, but we need more support all the time. The best and easiest way for you to do that is to chuck in $1 per month at patreon.com. There you will have the opportunity to say you are a contributing member of the Power Sweeps campaign and join the other people who are supporting us with $1 a month. Think of it this way. We release about four podcasts per month, one per week. So that works out to almost four a month. Um, some weeks it's a little, or some months it's a little bit less, but some months it might be a little bit more. Four months. Think about it as giving us a quarter for every show that we do. Now, I'm not the greatest podcaster in the world. I think we do all right. I think a lot of people enjoy the show and the numbers bear that out. I think we're worth a quarter of your money. So if you have that great moral weight weighing down on your mind about just not chipping in, um, giving back for what we're giving you, the precious little we are giving you, head over to patreon.com, sign up, give us a dollar a month. It'll help us keep the good stuff coming. We appreciate it. It means a lot to us to get that support. And uh, you get to be part of what we're doing here because we couldn't do it without you. I always say our listeners and our readers are the most important thing. You are, because if, uh, if you weren't listening and reading, there'd be no reason to continue doing this. So thank you in advance for your support. If you are supporting us on Patreon already, good for you. We appreciate it a lot, and we'll ho- we hope that you'll continue. All right, let's move into our main topic here. A bunch of topics, really. Uh, I threw out the call on social media this afternoon, uh, this morning, actually, and we're looking for a few of your questions, or I was looking for a few of your questions, and we got some good ones. So let's talk a little bit about the offseason and a few of the things that the Packers have coming up and a few of your questions about those things. First one, right off the bat, Anthony asks on Twitter, do you think the Packers will or should exercise the fifth-year option on Demarius Randall? In short, yes and yes. Um, In long, here's why. A fifth-year option is a great, great benefit for NFL teams because it gives you another year to really just figure things out 
with your guy before you have to make a decision on him. So it lets you kick a big decision down the road. It's also a player because they get a, a bump in their salary and uh, another year of security with a team that is interested in them. Rom Domovsky has a breakdown of the financials on ESPN.com. I'll read from his most recent piece about Demarius Randall. Quoting now, Randall was the 30th pick in the 2015 draft, and players selected from number 11 through 32 would receive a salary that is the average of the 3rd through 25th highest paid players in the NFL at their position if the 5th-year option is picked up. Last year, that was $8.526 million for cornerbacks. That's more than the entire combined value on the first four years of his rookie contract, which is just a shade under $8 million. So, a big salary bump for Randall. That is, that is true and inarguable. But I still sh- think the Packers should pick up his option, and here's why. $8 million, while a big bump, $8.5 million, probably closer to nine than eight and a half. But that eight to $9 million range is still not a whole lot for a cornerback, especially one that is your de facto top guy. Um, Randall probably shouldn't be the Packers' top cornerback long term. But right now, until somebody proves that they're better than he is, he is kind of just by default. Not that he was all that bad down the stretch last year. I think he was even quite good. Um, on on balance, his whole 2017 was a little bit inconsistent. But down the stretch last year, he was probably their most consistent player in the secondary, if not the entire defense, just given some injuries to other players like Kenny Clark and, and Mike Daniels. Will the Packers pick up the the option, though? I, I do think that they will because... If you look at the last fifth-year option they picked up, haha, Clinton Dix, he was still ascending at the time when they picked it up after his third year, not quite to the Pro Bowl level that he was in, in their fourth year or in his fourth year, but I think he was on the upswing when the Packers picked up that option. Randall, I think, after some inconsistency early in 2017 and a bad year in 2016, I think is on the upswing right now. He's a confident player. He has great physical gifts, and he gets to work with a new defensive coordinator probably this year and next year. I don't think there's a lot of reason to not pick it up. And uh, if you want to move on after that, you're not out a whole lot of money. So I think the, the Packers should and will pick up the option on Demarius Randall. Sticking with cornerbacks, this is not a question from anyone in particular, but just something I think we need to address based on the conversation as as a whole going on around this particular cornerback. Why didn't the Packers get in on Marcus Peters? Uh, The Monday morning quarterback and Peter King did some great reporting on the breakdown of the Marcus Peters deal, the one that sent him from Kansas City to the Los Angeles Rams. Still not quite used to saying Los Angeles Rams. It, it does, doesn't feel natural. Even more unnatural is the Los Angeles Chargers, especially when you see the, the abbreviation LAC. I still think Los Angeles Clippers. That notwithstanding, uh, Peters heads to the Rams from Kansas City for a fourth-round pick in the 2018 draft and a second-round pick in the 2019 draft. Apparently, the Chiefs were doing some serious shopping here. Uh, They weren't looking to buy. They were looking to sell. Shopping Peters around to literally every team in the NFL. And evidently, things came down to just the Rams and one other team. I think it was the 49ers uh, looking to make an offer. That's really interesting because Marcus Peters is one of, if not the best corners 
in the NFL. He may not be the absolute tip-top guy, but he's at least in the conversation. He, he produces a lot of turnovers. Uh, he's as close to a shutdown guy as, as you can get. And he's certainly the, the best cornerback who was available this offseason, more than likely. You could probably make the case for Trumaine Johnson, but it would be close. So why didn't the Packers get in on Marcus Peters? Uh, the fourth and a second doesn't sound like a lot, but there are some additional concerns here. The book on Peters is that while he's real good on the field, he can let some of the stuff that he has going on on the field affect him in ways that he shouldn't. Uh, gets a little bit psyched out sometimes just because of things that happen on the field and, and he loses a little bit of focus and, and can be a little bit of a handful sometimes. He has downplayed those issues, but it is a known issue. And I think it's telling that the two general managers now running teams of their own who were involved with him when he was in Kansas City did not want to make a deal for him. That's Chris Ballard in Indianapolis and John Dorsey in Cleveland. The Browns got more draft picks than they probably know what to do with. And still, they didn't want to give up a relatively low-level pick and a pick that's a year down the road to get a guy who could be an immediate upgrade in their secondary at a very affordable price for the next two years. Likewise goes for the Colts, who lost Vontae Davis this offseason and have generally been in a sort of disarray for the past I don't know, since Peyton Manning left pretty much and since Andrew Luck's shoulder got beat to heck, but that's a, that's an entirely different issue. So those guys didn't want him. Neither did, let's see, if uh, those two teams were out and there was two teams that were in the deal and the Kansas City Chiefs don't count, neither did 25, 24 other teams if you count the Packers out there. The deal was pretty light for Peters considering what he is as a player. And I think it tells you everything that you need to know that just the vast majority of teams did not want to get in on this. People know enough about Marcus Peters to not, to not want to make that trade. I think when you're a team that's sort of on the edge of being a, a serious, serious contender like the Rams, it's the sort of uh, you know high upside move that you can make. Plus, they're the Rams. If they crash and burn, who's really going to care? It happens. and there are There are different expectations for different teams. If the Rams crash and burn, who really cares? So I I don't know if there's a definitive answer as to why the Packers didn't get in on Marcus Peters. If you'd have told me you could have a top-end quarterback or cornerback for a four and a two, I would certainly have been interested, but I think it's those, those additional factors that make it not so much of a deal. Moving right along here, Gray Wing asks on Twitter. Great Twitter handle, by the way, the wingman. Wingman, I believe, is is what it is. Let's look here. Let's make sure we get it right. Wingman721. Good Twitter handle, I think. The Wingman, Gray Wing, asks on Twitter, any chance Ziggy Anza makes it to free agency? If so, do you think he lands anywhere other than Dallas? Unfortunately, Mr. Wing, we had this answered this afternoon. Uh, Really thought that Anza was going to get the franchise tag and he ended up getting that from the pack or from the lions not from the packers that'd be a heck of a, a trick if you could learn how to franchise other teams players but let's play around with that just for a second let's pretend that ziggy Ansa does make it to free agency would the packers be interested i say no and here's why three reasons first the problem with sacks if you're a longtime listener and reader of the power sweep you know that I'm not a big fan of sacks as the sole metric to decide how great of a pass rusher a guy is. But even when you just look at the sacks, 
Ziggy Ansah is a little bit scary. Last year he had 12.5. The year before he was down in single digits. The year before he was up near 14. Then prior to that he never had double digits. If you're going to be basing a contract just around sacks, you want a guy who's consistent. And Ansa has not has not been a consistent player. Then there's age. He's going to be 29 by the start of the next season. If you're signing a guy to a four or five year contract, even if it ultimately ends up being just a, a three or a four year deal, that that's already pushing up into a serious potential decline just in terms of age. That's a lot of money to lay out for a guy who, who's going to potentially be declining in the very near future. In fact, I would be would not be shocked if the Lions decided to franchise him this year and then just cut ties, let him walk next season when he's going to be 30 by the start of the 2019 season. Then money. Uh, all the, the concerns about age or inconsistency notwithstanding, it's going to take a lot of money to bring in a top-end pass rusher. And when you're dealing with factors like that inconsistency in his age, I'm not sure that's necessarily money well spent. All this, of course, doesn't matter because he ended up heading or staying in, in Detroit anyway, like we thought he would. But um, I think it is interesting to think about, especially as, as other pass rushers um, are hitting the market, like Mr. Lawrence from Dallas, who's going to be, or uh, yeah, who's going to be a little bit on the expensive side as well, I think. Moving on, uh, Gray Wing asks another question, one that we can ask actually answer uh also wants us to consider prince of mukamara to me says gray wing he would seem a solid know what you're going to get signing whilst others develop behind and around him i completely agree i'm a big fan of this kind of signing whether it's a, a mukamara or somebody else i think the packers tried to do this with devon house last year didn't really work out but that doesn't mean it wasn't a sound idea you've got to have these guys that are just solid lunch pail type players guys where you know what they're going to get, what they're going to bring you. And I think especially as you transition into a new defense, while you're building up that sort of institutional knowledge that comes with familiarity in a, to a coordinator, you need guys like that. So I, I would be a big fan of a signing like that, even if it's not a Mukamara, maybe another veteran defensive back. Two more questions here, and then we'll call it a show. Josh asks, asks and I think you maybe have a little of a, a bias here, uh, he asks if Josh Allen is there at 14, should the Packers take him? Just sticking up for the Joshes, huh, Josh? To answer your question, though, jokes aside, probably not. Uh, I don't think the Packers are interested in Josh Allen just because of uh, the the factors around Josh Allen. Um, I think there's there's some big question marks as to how his game will transition to the NFL. I think there are, are concerns about him just being the one-trick, big-armed Pony. I'm just picturing a, a show pony with real big biceps. That's kind of weird. Um, but I think there are legit concerns about him just being a guy with a big arm that people have talked themselves into. But as far as quarterbacks in the draft, I think there are two things the Packers have to at least consider here. First, I think the Packers have to be rooting for as many quarterbacks as possible to go high in the draft. If I'm a Packers executive, I am spending my advertising budget, if I have one for some reason, on as many hype reels as I can for every first-round quarterback in the draft because I want as many to go high as possible. For the simple fact that the more quarterbacks go high in the draft, the more other players get driven down to where the Packers are at 14. 
that's perfect. If the if they have four quarterbacks go in the top ten, that's four more non-quarterbacks who are there for the Packers to consider when their picks go around. I think that's just a simple numbers game. But secondly, I would expect the Packers to at least very strongly consider drafting a quarterback at some point in this year's draft. Don't forget the Packers were seriously considering taking Deshaun Kaiser with the first pick of the second round, assuming they could find a trade partner uh, for Brett Hundley. The Packers are not set at quarterback. I think they know that, especially after they saw what Brett Hundley did last year. I think they have to at least strongly consider taking a quarterback at some point in the draft. Where that is, I don't know. Uh, I don't think it's the first round. I don't think it's going to be the second round. But beyond that, who knows? The draft is a funny thing. And depending on how things fall, um, maybe the Packers do end up with a quarterback in in the third round or something weird like that. Who knows? I think they will consider it. Finally, Zach asks about LSU's own Arden Key. Thoughts on Arden Key and where he might stand on the Packers board, he asks on Twitter. Well, there is a lot to like about Arden Key, I think. Uh, The good is everything about his athleticism, his physical attributes. 6'6", 265, looks like a guy who's probably going to run somewhere between, you know, the mid-4'6s and 4'8". Pretty good for a big guy. The bad, though, is consistency. Um both on the field and off. Uh, And his reputation, I think, as an athleticism-based rusher versus a moves-based rusher. On the whole, pass rushing moves are probably a little bit overrated, but you do want to see a guy who is able to win by doing specific things, um, you know, hand positioning, foot positioning, using his body to get around guys, as opposed to guys who just run around you know, the slower, weaker competition they're facing in college and get to the quarterback that way. Because that's not going to work on a down-in and down-out basis in the NFL. You might get a couple sacks here and there doing that, but you're not going to make your living as an athleticism-based rusher in the NFL. So I, I think there is some good and some bad about him as a player. One thing I have to point out, this is either neither good nor bad, but something... I think uh, that you have to consider here as you evaluate this guy is making sure you don't fall into the sort of racially coded language that one NFC director of scouting is using in describing Key. If you look at his NFL.com draft profile, here's the quote that you get from uh, an NFC director of scouting. Quote, you come back to the old question of what will a player do with more time and more money as a pro? Key's background tells you it could be a big problem for him. Not only that, but if he had seven sacks over the last two years where he didn't have to be, not only that, but he had seven sacks over the last two years where he didn't really have to beat the tackle. That last part is is not, you know, not the real questionable part here. When you start talking about a guy's background, you really have to get specific about what you mean. Do you mean his background as a guy who mysteriously vanished from his team, uh, didn't really explain what he was doing, then came back to the team after having shoulder surgery? Okay, that's one thing. I'm not sure that's legitimate analysis, but that's something you can't talk about. But if you're talking about his background as a poor black kid from a poor neighborhood who's never had a lot of money in his family or his life, and that being a concern for you drafting him in the NFL, I think you've got to take a step back, take a long look in the mirror, and wonder really what you're asking. Are you asking about your concern about this guy because of his 
quote-unquote background for legitimate reasons? Are you really? None of that, I think, really factors into the Packers' analysis. It's just something that seems to come up a lot about guys like Arden Key this time of year. So where do the Packers have him? Zach wants to know where he might stand on the Packers' board. The Packers, I think, have not been super historically high on the guys that are all about testing versus production as pass rushers. They drafted Nick Perry, but he was pretty productive in college. Not super, super productive, but but regularly productive. Kyler Fackrell, a little bit of a workout warrior that the Packers took, but they took him in the third round, not in the first round. Just looking at the balance of his production versus his, versus his athleticism, I don't think Arden Key is the sort of the guy that the Packers would grade out as a first-round guy. I would guess, if I have to, probably somewhere in the second to third round range. If I'm making the call, I don't think I'd take him at 14. Maybe if you get down into the late 20s, early 30s, uh, even at the top of the second round, maybe you could talk yourself into that, especially if there's been a big run on pass rushers. But I think if you're looking to spend a mid to high first round pick, you want a little bit more consistency from him. Background, notwithstanding, Mr. Anonymous NFC Scout or scouting director, or whatever. While I've got you here, a thought about rounds. Don't get hung up on which round a guy is drafted in, or which rounds your favorite NFL team has picks in. Hopefully it's the Packers, but I'm not going to judge. If you're a fan of some other team and you're listening to Blue 58, hello and welcome. Think more about the number that a guy is drafted overall. The Packers have three draft picks in the top 76. They have six picks in the top 150 picks. If you go just by rounds, they have a one, a two, a three, two fours, and two fives out of those six picks in the top 150. But if you just look at the round number, you really don't get a good sense for where the Packers are picking. And they are picking high and they are picking often. Six in the top 150 is a lot. If you throw two more fifth-round compensatory picks in there. The Packers have eight total picks in the top 175. That's a lot. And they are going to make good use of those picks. So just remember that where a guy is getting drafted overall matters a whole lot more than the number uh, or than than the round in which he is picked. Kevin King was the 33rd overall pick last year. That's one pick out of being a first-rounder. But it looks like the Packers didn't have a first-rounder last year just by a matter of one number. Don't get hung up on that. Let yourself be freed of that and look where a guy is just drafted overall. The pick number, a lot more important than the round number. Just a small thing to remember. That's all I've got for you this week. You can find us, as you always do, at thepowersweep.com and on Facebook and Twitter at the Power Sweep. If you would choose to reach us via email, you may do so via the Power Sweep 1959 at gmail.com. If you'd like to support us, the freest and easiest way to do that is to give us a review on iTunes. Not everybody listens to us on iTunes or via Apple Podcasts, but still the easiest way for people to find the show. And if you leave us a review there, it helps more people do that. If you'd like to support us in other ways, you may buy a t-shirt via Teespring by clicking on the store link at thepowersweep.com or by finding us on Patreon via patreon.com slash thepowersweep. We always love to hear from you, whatever form you choose to contact us in, whether that's via Facebook or Twitter or email or carrier pigeon or secret coded um, Morse code, something like that. Whatever medium you choose, we do love to hear it because any feedback you give us helps us make this entire operation better and it helps us all become smarter Packers fans. And as I always say, smarter Packers fans are better Packers fans and better Packers fans are what we all want to be. 
I am John Meerdink. We will see you next week on Blue 58.